Chapter Fifteen of The Lady from Nowhere by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Chapter Fifteen: The Revelation of Mister Prain. Arthur Ferris, the son of Dean, repeated Gebb, looking alternately at solicitor and barrister. Well, I never heard of such a thing. Did you know of it, Mister Alder? Alder shook his head with unqualified amazement. "'Not I,' he said. "'I suggested that Ferris was shielding Dean, only because I am certain Dean is the assassin, and only the assassin could have given that necklace taken from the dead woman to Ferris. But I had no idea that there was any relationship, or even acquaintance, between them.' "'Nevertheless, it is true,' replied Prane, with a nod. "'I was Dean's lawyer, as you know, and he told me much of his family history.' When his wife died, he placed his son Arthur with some of her relatives, and went himself as a bachelor down to the hall, to court Laura Kirkstone for his second wife, and meet with his fate. When he was imprisoned for the murder of Kirkstone, the relatives of Arthur gave him his mother's name of Ferris. I have kept my eye on that young man all my life, or, rather, all his life of twenty-five years, and have even assisted him on occasions with money. He is the son of Dean, right enough, although he still keeps to the name of Ferris. Oh, he knows who he is, then, said Gebb, sharply. Certainly, he has known it for many years. Has he any idea of the whereabouts of his father? questioned Alder. No, he would have told me if he had, as he is well aware that I consider his father innocent, and would not give him up to the law even if I knew of his hiding-place. Do you believe that Dean is innocent in this instance, Mr. Prain? The little man moved restlessly, and evaded a direct reply to the inquiry of Alder. That is a question I cannot answer, he said dubiously. I asked Ferris if he obtained the necklace from his father, but he denied that he did, and added that he was ignorant of his father's whereabouts. He declared that he had not seen his father since he was five years of age. Oh, of course he would say that— cried Alder, with scorn, in order to shield his father, as I suggested, although until you spoke I did not know who Dean really was. The evidence against Dean seems clear enough to me. In what way? asked Gebb, anxious to hear Alder's ground of accusation, since he appeared so certain of Dean's guilt. In every way, retorted the barrister. Dean hunted Miss Gilmar down and killed her in Paradise Row. Being hard up, as he must be, Seeing that he is an outlaw and in hiding, he stole the jewels she wore. He, no doubt, gave the necklace to Ferris, as I know the young man is as poor as a church mouse, and kept the other jewels to himself. I don't say that Ferris knew at the time his father had killed Miss Gilmar, but when Mr. Gebb here stated that the necklace was taken from her dead body, Ferris is quick enough to put two and two together, and guess what his father had done. He therefore holds his tongue, and refuses to say from whom he got the necklace, a man with his life in jeopardy would not keep silent without a strong motive, and what stronger motive can Ferris have than one which concerns the safety of his father? To me the affair is as clear as day. "'Your case is very ingeniously constructed, I admit,' said Prane dryly, "'and you argue the rope round Dean's neck in fine style. Nevertheless, your theory is—theory, and nothing more.' "'Well,' said Alder, with a shrug, what does Mr. Gebb say? Mr. Gebb says nothing at present, 
rejoined that gentleman, after a moment's thought. Least said, soonest mended. When I gather more evidence, I shall speak more freely. Where do you intend to look for evidence? At Kirkstone Hall. I shall ask Miss Wedderburn why she fainted on the occasion of my mentioning about Ferris, although I did ask her once, and she lied. I could explain that, observed Prain quickly. I said I would not do so without the young lady's permission, but as I have been forced to tell you about Dean's relationship to Ferris, I may as well reveal the rest. Miss Wedderburn knows that Arthur is the son of Dean, so when you asked her about him, I dare say the thought struck her that you knew of it through me, and intended to accuse him of killing Miss Gilmar to avenge his father. With a revulsion of feeling, she fainted. There, you have the explanation from my point of view. That's all very well, Mr. Prain, but I wish to have the explanation from Miss Wedderburn's point of view. Where is she now? Still at the hall, said Arthur gloomily, but she intends to leave it, now that I am master there. Oh, said Prain with a smile, she refuses to be its mistress. Yes, I don't mind confessing it. She is infatuated with Ferris, and when I went down the other day to ask her for the last time to be my wife, she refused me, and declared that she intended to marry Ferris. But I don't bear him any ill will, said Alder, generously. We both love Miss Wedderburn, and she prefers him in his poverty to me with my money. Still, I don't know how she can bear the idea of marrying the son of a murderer." "'Perhaps, like myself, she believes in Dean's innocence,' said Prain, dryly. "'If he is guilty of the first crime, he is guilty of the second. "'Well,' said Gebb, thoughtfully, "'there is something in that. "'Unless Dean had been guilty of Kirkstone's murder, "'he would not have been so bent upon punishing the woman who accused him of it, "'and it is just possible he murdered her out of revenge. "'However, I believe myself that Dean is innocent of both crimes.' As to the second, I shall see Ferris again, and try to learn if he got the necklace from his father. As to the first, added Gebb, emphatically, I shall search Kirkstone Hall for Miss Gilmar's confession. Her confession? repeated Alder, surprised. What confession? Ah, said Prane, taking no notice of the barrister's question, and addressing Gebb. So you are coming round to my opinion, that Miss Gilmar killed Kirkstone? It has been my opinion for some time, replied Gebb, coolly, and I believe that Miss Gilmar left a confession behind her telling the truth. I don't think she would risk its discovery by carrying it about with her, so it is probable she wrote it out and concealed it in some hiding place in Kirkstone Hall. In that case, search the hall, said Alder, disbelievingly. You have my full permission to do so. I shall certainly avail myself of it, Mr. Alder. So... Miss Wedderburn leaves the hall. What about her protégé, Martin? That lunatic? I don't know. He had better stay where he is for the present, although I think myself he should be locked up. What does Miss Wedderburn think? She says he is mad, but not dangerous, and asked me to let him stay on at the hall until she is settled, with Ferris, I suppose, when she will take him with her. A nice companion he will be to a young married couple." "'I'm afraid that marriage won't take place for some time,' said Prain gloomily. "'Even if Arthur does escape, he's too poor to keep a wife.' "'In that case,' said Alder, rising to take his leave, "'there may be a chance for me. "'While there is life, there is hope, you know.' Prain shook his head with a doubtful smile. 
"'While Arthur Ferris lives, Miss Wedderburn won't marry you,' he said positively. Alder stopped at the door and looked back. "'See here, Mr. Prain,' he remarked earnestly. "'I'm all fair, square, and above board. Gab here will tell you that before you came I defended Ferris, because I consider him innocent. But I believe that his father killed Kirkstone and my cousin, and I am certain that both crimes will be brought home to him. In that case I have my doubts as to whether a proud girl like Edith will marry the son of a murderer. If she does not, she will accept me, of that I am certain, and I shall do everything to bring such a marriage about. Well, said Prain, I've known Edith all her life, and I don't think she will marry you. We'll see about that, rejoined Alder confidently, and swung out of the door with a look of determination in his blue eyes. Prain shook his head and shrugged his shoulders, for he thought that the barrister was overconfident for a lover. Then he took up his hat to go, and addressed a last question to Gebb. "'Well, sir,' said he, grimly, "'and what do you intend to do now?' Three things, Mr. Prain, and I don't mind telling you what they are. I intend to question both Ferris and Miss Wedderburn. I intend to search Kirkstone Hall for that confession of Miss Gilmar's, which I really believe exists.' and I intend to call upon Mr. Clement Basson. What about Basson? Can he prove anything? He can prove an alibi in favor of Ferris, said Gebb, and forthwith related to Prain all that he had been told by Alder regarding the lecture in the Grangebury Town Hall. Prain listened attentively, and nodded his head approvingly, for he was pleased to find a loophole for Arthur's escape. Very credible to Alder, he said, when the detective finished. His conduct in speaking up for Ferris deserves our praise. Few men would be so generous to their rival. But if this is so, why did not Ferris clear himself before the magistrate? He would be free now, had he done so. Well, said Gebb, thoughtfully, so far as that goes, we come back to Mr. Alder's belief. Ferris is shielding his father. If he is, said Prain, Dean must be guilty. It looks like it. "'But I tell you what, Mr. Prain,' cried Gebb, emphatically, "'as sure as I sit here, Dean is innocent. "'Whosoever killed Miss Gilmar was expected by her, "'was a friend with whom she was at ease. "'That was proved by the smoking and the wine. "'She would not have been at ease with Dean.' "'He might have been disguised as a fortune-teller,' suggested Prain. "'No, I don't believe it.' No disguise could have hidden him from the eyes of a woman who feared him so. Whoever killed that woman, it wasn't Dean. Then why is Ferris shielding Dean? We don't know if he is. You, yourself, said that he denied it. I know I did. I know he does, cried Prain in despair. God bless my soul! What a case this is! The more we talk about it, the more confused does it become. I tell you what, Geb. Your only chance of arriving at the truth lies in either forcing Ferris to confess where he got the necklace, or in hunting down Dean. I'll try the first of your suggestions at once, said Gebb, putting on his hat. And if Arthur Ferris won't confess to me, I'll write and ask Miss Wedderburn to come to town. What good can she do? She can make him confess the truth. What the man won't do for justice, he may do for love. However, I'll see him at once. Justice will make the first attempt, love the second. And both will fail, cried Prain. You'd better catch Dean, my good man. 
That's easier said than done, retorted Gebb, and the two parted, each more or less exasperated. And very naturally, for the perplexities of the Grangebury murder case were enough to anger the mildest natures, and those of Prain and Gebb were rather the reverse. Irritated and puzzled by the complexion of affairs, Gebb did not let the grass grow under his feet, but at once visited the prison in which Arthur Ferris was confined. He easily obtained permission to see him, and entered to find the young man looking ill and worn, but as firm as ever in his policy of silence. Gebb came to the reason of his visit forthwith. "'Well, Mr. Ferris, you are a nice gentleman to stay here, when a word from you in the court would clear you of all this.' "'What word?' asked Ferris, suspecting a snare, and speaking cautiously. "'Why, word where you were at the time of the murder.' I know you did not kill Miss Gilmar. How do you know that? asked the young man, with a start. Because you were at the Grangebury Town Hall listening to the lecture on Dickens, replied Gebb. Mr. Alder told me. It is very kind of Alder to defend me, replied Ferris, frankly. Yes, Mr. Gebb, it is quite true. I was not near Miss Gilmar on that night. I am innocent. Then why didn't you say so? I did, several times. But why don't you produce your alibi? Because I don't choose to, retorted Ferris, slowly, and turned sulky again. So you are shielding your father, after all. Who told you about my father? he asked tremulously. Mr. Prain, said Gebb, your father is Dean, who swore to kill that woman for accusing him of Kirkstone's murder. He escaped, and killed her, and gave you the necklace— and you won't speak because you want to save your father's neck. My father has nothing to do with it, Mr. Gebb. I did not get the necklace from him. I don't know where he is. This is my last word, said Ferris firmly. And it was. Gebb begged and implored and threatened, but to no purpose. Whatever Ferris knew, he kept to himself. End of chapter 15